Now, Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 34. Somebody in the first service had never heard uh, these parables in their life. Many of us will have heard them many times. But uh, let me encourage you, if they are familiar to you, that uh, open your heart and your mind to God and he'll say fresh things to you. Again, Jesus began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him, so he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed bear, hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And they are the ones sown on the rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves. But endure for a while then, when tribulation or persecution arises, on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in and put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone is ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, he knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts it to the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them, so they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained 
everything. Well, these words uh, that Jesus spoke again and again through this chapter, if you have ears to hear, then hear. I cannot unclog the wax from your ears or mine. Only God can do that by his spirit. So I'm going to ask him to do that. Let's pray. Father, we pray that every single one of us in this room, by the illuminating, gracious work of your Holy Spirit, would have ears that hear and eyes that truly see. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Faith comes through hearing. Faith comes through hearing. Speaking the message is a consistent emphasis in these early chapters in Mark. Let me just remind you of that. Mark, as you'll remember, opens up with John the Baptist, that great prophet, that great preacher who had strange clerical dress. And uh, the Bible, Mark describes him in two ways, as a messenger and as a voice. He speaks a message, pointing to the Lord Jesus. Remember John's message, I can get you wet. The Lord Jesus can ignite spiritual life in your heart by the Holy Spirit. John is a messenger. He speaks the message. Next comes the Lord Jesus. Just look at chapter 1, verse 14. Jesus came into Galilee. This is the entry of the Son of God onto the stage of human history. As an adult, his ministry begins. He entered human history doing what? proclaiming or speaking the gospel. Last week, Andy helped us see that his message of forgiveness was his priority. Not soul concern, but priority. And that message is about forgiveness. Now, the section from 2.13 to 3.34, we've uh, skipped out. We're on to chapter 4. But the point of the section from 2.13 to 34 is that when Jesus speaks his message, it leads to hostility and rejection in history at that point from the Jewish religious leaders. And in spite of that, his message goes forward in a new way. What new way is that? Well, he founds the church. Just look at uh, chapter uh, 3, verse 13. This is his description of what the founding of the church will look like. Chapter 3, verse 13. Jesus went up on a mountain. If you're up a mountain in the Bible, something important is happening. He went up on a mountain and called to him, those to whom he desired, that's the disciples, and they came to him and he appointed twelve whom he named apostles so that they might be with him while he's on the earth and he might send them out to speak, to preach the message. And so you see the picture that uh, Mark is building for us. John the Baptist is a speaker. Jesus is a speaker, and the church is to speak the message. All of us embraced in that in different ways. 
Faith comes through hearing the message spoken. And uh, if I was a disciple then, having been commissioned to be an apostle, to go and speak the message, what I would want to know is what it's like when you speak the message. What will our experience be? And for us, as we speak the message, whether we're preaching the message or explaining it in evangelism, in whatever context, what's it like when you speak the message? Or you might be here, well, we're all here, I hope we're all here listening to the message being spoken. How do we react? So what's it like to speak it? How do we hear it? The two things going on in these uh, parables. Now, just to comment on the structure of uh, Mark, there are three parables here. Uh, You can see that. Uh, Just look in your Bibles. The parable of the seed that is sown, chapter 4, verses 1 to 9, followed by an explanation in verses 13 to 20. Secondly, the parable of the growing seed, chapter 4, verses 26 to 29, and the parable of the mustard seed, chapter 4, verses 30 to 32. Now, in each parable, the seed represents the word or the message. For example, in parable 1, The explanation in verse 14, the sower sows the word. Three parables, and kind of woven into them, which is a feature of Mark's uh, writing style, there are two comments that uh, explain how people will hear and understand. And we get these two comments in 4.10 to 12 and uh, 4.21 to 25. So um, I remember reading in a Bible commentary how you understand Mark's structure. It's like a, a double king size cheeseburger, yeah? If they exist, I'm sure they do. When you've got uh, three bits of cheese and two hamburgers, you can see how the thing fits. It's clear as mud, isn't it? We'll get there. Let's just look at each parable in turn. <laughs> The first parable, often referred to as the parable of the sower, I've called it the parable of the sown seed. It doesn't much uh, matter. And and just a a heads up here for us all. As we engage as a church in the gospel project and uh, we are equipped to do evangelism in the next however many years, uh, this is what it will be like. Uh, Many of you here as undergrads are about to embark on events week in universities. Uh, Sam and I are off to Glasgow to, to, to speak at one. This is what it will be like. So heads up, listen. Verses 1 to 9 tell us the parable and verses 13 to 20 explain what it means. Now the picture is of a farmer, the sower, who goes out scattering seed. And if you've got a picture in your mind of a farmer in Jesus' day in the dusty heat of Judea, uh, walking up and down a field with a bag over his shoulder, putting his hand in it, and systematically scattering the seed on the ground as he goes, I think that's uh, uh, kind of uh, what Jesus has in his mind. And some of that seed, as the farmer scatters it, falls on the path in front of him, 
which is rock hard. You can see that in your minds. And the seed sits on the path for about 20 seconds. And then a bird swoops down. And if you've ever driven past a field when there's a plow going up and down that field, what follows the plow? A whole lot of birds. They're after the worms, I guess, or the seeds that are sown. And the seed hits the path. It sits on the path. There's not even a crack on the path for the seed to go down. And the bird gets it. Other seed falls on uh, rocky ground where uh, there are roots, but they're shallow. And there's some initial growth. You see the seedling come up. It breaks through the ground. But the sun comes up. And because there are no roots into moisture, scorched, dies. Other seed falls on ground where there are thorns. Uh, I'm just thinking, if we were all in the country and you were all a farming stock, you think, this is boring. Why are you telling me this? I get this. But we're not. We're city dwellers, many of us. Other seed falls um, on the, the, the thorns. Uh, and I was reading uh, this week, helpfully, uh, that uh, if you have ground elder weed in your garden, that's bad news. Some of you will know what ground I have no idea what it is. It's bad news in a garden. It just chokes anything that grows. And, and not even immediately. It just waits and bides its time, then gets it. But some seed falls on good soil. And it yields a great harvest. That's uh, the parable uh, one. Now, something I think we need to be clear on, I think. Jesus is not describing a bad farmer. He's not this farmer, if you like, on his mobile phone or his iPod, going up and down the field, just not having a clue in his mind what he's doing with the seed. He's not just chucking it out or forgetting to put some out. He's a systematic, good, logical farmer going up and down the field with his bag of grain. And this parable is not about people who do evangelism in a shoddy way. It's not about a CU, for example, that isn't systematic and careful about the way it issues invites and the way it works through social media. It's something systematic he's doing. It's good evangelism. But a lot of the seed is wasted. Wastage. And uh, you've got to get used to that as a farmer. I remember being up in, in Easter Ross in Tain with uh, the Mackenzie family who run Christian Focus Publications, a book publisher in the Christian world. And they're grain farmers. And William took me out in the field one autumn on a tractor and he said, look at the wastage caused by the storms. You've got to be used to wastage if you're a farmer. And maybe the farmer went home at night with his cocoa and ruse the wastage, tries he might. He cannot, cannot get rid of these hard bits on the path. He cannot get rid of the birds. He'd love to. He puts up scarecrows, but they just suss them out. And he cannot get rid of the rocks. It's almost as if the rocks come up from underground. And he cannot get rid of the thorns. So much wastage. And that is, the Lord Jesus says to us exactly what evangelism is like. You go about sowing the word, speaking the message, inviting people to events, putting cards through every street in your, every home in your street. 
You try and explain the gospel to them. You invite somebody to a reading Mark group. But again and again, the answer is no. Some people say yes. They come and listen for three weeks and they go. Sometimes they grow. Sometimes they fill in response cards to guest events. I remember working in, lots of us in the church, you work in coffee shops. And uh, I remember being in the, the Costa Coffee along next to uh, the law faculty. And it was the events week, I think, in Edinburgh Uni or the joint unis, maybe last year, the year before. And that was where the follow-up course was. And I remember being in it in week one and then week two and week three and the numbers just dip. That's how it is. Jesus says, that's comforting, isn't it? Not got it wrong. It's not our technique that's kind of gone wrong. I feel it, I think, most of all at weddings or funerals or carol services. You know, the sow the seed of, of the gospel. You can just see it. So unlike this morning. You can, you can understand what I'm saying. You just see it and you see it hit hard ground. Now, just look with me at at, at the explanation for a moment. Look what Mark says. Verse 14. The sower sows the word. These are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. These are the folk you invite to a carol service who don't reply. Or you uh, invite them to a guest event uh, in the missions week and they don't come. They don't reply. They're just not interested. And how many times have we experienced uh, that? Or you put an invitation card through all the uh, houses in your street and for a a few weeks they pass you and they kind of look away and after a few weeks they they look you in the eye again and we've all got over it for another year at least or another few months. Or or there are weddings I I go to and I I preach the gospel at them and and then at a wedding, none of your weddings, just to say that uh, you, you get allocated a table and I've seen people when they realize the ministers on that table just freak out. What's he going to say to me? What's he going to say? And the ground that you saw from the lectern in the wedding service that you thought was rock hard is far harder than you thought. And I guess when you invite people to events and they don't reply or they don't come, or you get a kickback like that. It might hit you hard at the time, but you get over it. On the way home from the wedding, I'll say to Sally, well, there we go again. <laughs> and we get over that, don't we? You, get, you move on. You move on. You just send out another pile of invitations. <laughs> it's worth observing, though, and make a final note of this. Who is it that snatches the seed away from the path? Who is it? Satan. Isn't that striking? He's everywhere. Sometimes I think that preachers give the impression that Satan lurks behind every door and every cupboard. He doesn't. The far greater danger is that we think he doesn't lurk behind any. He's called a lion. And you only know a lion is there when it pounces. Now, what about the next bit in the parable, 16, verse 16? These are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. But they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Now, this is harder to take. 
It's like, a, say, a, a student who comes up to uni in their last year at school, they've responded to the gospel. And these are not made up hypothetical examples. And their home church is delighted. Their parents are delighted. You would be. I saw a, a parent this morning in church. Their, their son, I think, has become a Christian. And they were delighted. You would be. They go off to uni. And that little home church that is invested in them is, is just praying for them. And yet at Christmas time, after term one, they do not appear. Because they've gone, they've been open about their faith. And they've received a kickback and a knockback. And after a few weeks, they've stopped going to the CU. They've stopped going to their hall group. They've drifted off because trouble and persecution comes because of the word. Or the school playground is rocky ground. We've got brilliant feedback, Sam and Andy and I, on the Gospel Project material. You know, the very best feedback we got was from youth church last Sunday morning. When they told us how people in the playground will react to the Gospel message in Mark. They just got it spot on. They feel it. You own up as a 15-year-old in the playground, that you're not going out of school to Greg's for your lunch because you're going to the CU or the SU. That's not easy. And many fall away. And if you're a parent, you feel it. If you're a church leader, you feel it. Or if you are the person who has invested in that person, and when flat comes, you feel it. Say you do a, a, a reading mark course, or you have a follow-up after the missions week. And after four or five weeks as you go through Mark's gospel, you get to the bit, following Jesus means letting people know. And you're not up for it. And you say no. Now you know if you are the person that's read the gospel with them, you feel that, don't you? You don't just write that off. Say, oh, it happens. It's not like the wedding meal, is it? <laughs> The next bit, verse 18. Others are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. How real, how realistic is this? The cares of the world, all the stuff that comes along in life, the deceitfulness of wealth and success, the desires for other things where the heart and affections are drawn, choke the word, the gospel, in someone's life, and it proves unfruitful. Now, I think the timescale here is longer. People who become Christians, and over time and over life, other stuff gets in the way. Their first love for Jesus doesn't stay their first love. Their priorities change. And you look back on a life, and it's unfruitful. There's no spiritual fruit. Now, are these people still Christians? Maybe, maybe not. I would dare to say yes. But they are people whose lives are kind of fruitless. There's nothing more discouraging than watching someone you have shared the gospel with over the years drift. For me as a minister, there is nothing more discouraging than watching people over the years being choked by the cares of the world the lure of wealth, and the affections for other things. It's like, and I often describe this to people, they're like sand going through your fingers and you cannot hold them. It's God who can in the end though. I can think of 
one person clearly in my mind now who is no longer here, sitting where you are. And I watch them bit by bit, month by month, year by year, drift away because of their affections for things other than Jesus. And they've gone. God willing, he still has them. Do you feel that when it happens? Or are you indifferent to that and say, well, that's just the way it goes. Let's crack on and invest in somebody else. Of course you do. Jesus says to us, Chalmers or Edinburgh CUs or you and me as just punter evangelists, that is exactly what will happen. You're not doing anything wrong. That's how it is. That's parable one, wastage. Parable two, waiting. It's a cheery sermon, isn't it? It's a good Scottish sermon. Wastage, waiting, and weakness. Let's just chuck in the towel, eh? Do you know how often, um, as a Christian minister, um, I want to chuck in the towel? We do, don't we? Genuinely. Waiting, parable two. Uh, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is... As a man should scatter seed on the ground, he sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, he knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. When the grain is ripe, at once he puts it to the sickle, because the harvest is come. And the picture here is of grain growing in a field. You know these programs on telly, on uh, seasons of the year. I watched one at Christmas on the Cairngorms. Yeah. Spring, summer, autumn, winter in 40 minutes. And you start on the 1st of January and the camera kind of takes you to the 31st of December in 30 minutes. You know that kind of program. And you physically watch the leaves come out in the trees. If I send you off there now, it'll be a long time till you see a leaf come out in the tree in the Cairngorms. You might freeze to death on the way. And you see the clouds going over the sky faster than the speed of light. That's not how it is in the real-time world. And it's not how it is in evangelism. On this hand, I can count the people I have known in my years of ministry who have become Christians like that. On these arms, I could hold the people that you see inch by inch, day by day, month by month, year by year, humbled under God's word, their hearts resisting, resisting, resisting. And eventually they just, I can think of a a guy in my mind now who after years came up to me one morning when we were in the other building in St. Catharines and he looked like down at his feet and he said, I want to become a Christian now. And I just about, I said, and he's a clear Christian. It's God's time. Waiting. 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 In our neat world, we want to run an events week. We want people to sign up. We want conversions by week eight of the follow-up course. And we want to then celebrate on the first Monday night of CU. That's what we want to do. We want to gather in the harvest. Waiting. And then weakness. 
Verse 30, Jesus said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? What parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when grown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Now, humanly speaking, we're not up for the mustard seed kind of scenario when it comes to gardening. If you go out to Gardener's World out there in Dobby's, the bypass, wonderful place. You cannot go into that shop without spending money. You just can't help yourself. And uh, you want to buy, you want to go outside, you want to buy the kind of plant when it looks like a big plant and bring it home and stick it in the ground. And look what we've got. Costs a lot though, to be fair. If you go into the seed section, 30p for a packet of mustard seeds and it takes 20 squillion years. When we used to do children's talks, maybe we should do them again because adults learn wonderful things from them. The classic children's talk in this, boys and girls, what's this I've got in my hand? Oh, it's a mustard seed. And some smart kid will say, it's Jesus. You know, no, no, that's the answer. It's a mustard seed. You know, how small is that? Now, I know, and one of you will tell me afterwards, that the mustard seed is not the smallest seed. There's another seed that's small. I know that. But you get the point. It's tiny. And, and the point of the parable is, that little seed looks so weak. How on earth could that tiny seed become this huge tree? We were in Richmond, lived in Wimbledon. We went to Richmond often on the Thames. And on the banks of the Thames at Richmond, there is the perfect tree, apparently. It's beautiful when you see it. It's perfectly symmetrical, beautiful tree. How can that seed become the tree? And the point of the parable is weakness. Let me illustrate that. When you engage a friend in a conversation about the gospel... Say over dinner or whatever, if that's what you do, or just casually, and you say, they say to you, what, what were you doing at the weekend? I said, well, I was at church. What are you doing Saturday? Well, I was doing some evangelism training. or And you feel, what do you feel? What do you feel? What do you feel when you face your maid up on the hockey pitch and say, look, will you come to an event where you will hear the gospel? What do you feel? Weak. No, you don't. I do anyway. And then when you explain the gospel to people, what is it you believe? And you tell them, well, I believe that I'm a sinner in need of forgiveness. And the Lord Jesus, when he died on the cross, paid the penalty for my sin and I'm forgiven and I will live for eternity. You just hear yourself and it sounds daft, weak, unpersuasive, offensive, dissonant. And Paul said it will sound foolish unless God opens their heart. Now, I am personally most conscious of this at funerals, carol services, or weddings. At the carol service at Christmas, there were four, I could only see row one because of the lights. In row one in front of me, there were four people who were texting each other back and forward as I was talking right in front of me. Just hard ground. I even looked at them, but it didn't stop. And at a funeral, you know, you... You have the audacity to say that someone has died and there's hope and there's eternity. And when you say it, you know it's true, but you feel weak and it sounds weak to you. Jesus said, that's what it will be like. Now, there's a bit in the parables I've missed, isn't there? Have you noticed? I do not need to convince any of us 
that there will be wastage, waiting and weakness. I don't need to convince Scots of that. We're good at that down stuff. If you are from a country in the world which is a glass half full country, and if you are that kind of personality, I still do not need to convince you that there will be wastage and waiting and weakness in advantage. It's not about personality. It's just how it is. What I need to convince you of, and I warrant that we will not be convinced of this. And the proof of this was very powerfully conveyed to me after the first service when somebody came up to me and said exactly that. They believe everything here, but not these bits. That's exactly how we respond. So, listen to the good stuff. Parable 1. Those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word accepted and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Isn't that great? But it's not going to happen in my church or my university or in my life or in Scotland ever again. Humanly, of course, that's a fair call, isn't it? Or parable two, the growing seed. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain. When the grain is ripe, he puts a sickle to it, because they'll have a wonderful harvest, bringing in somebody, welcoming them into the family of God. Not in my church. Not in my life. And the mustard seed, when it is sowed, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. That wonderful picture of that tiny seed, that tiny message becoming this wonderful tree, not in my life. Now, what do these promises all mean? They mean lots of different things, but in essence, they mean this one thing, is that people will become Christians. Not that they might, but that they will. It is inevitable. Why? Well, I could appeal to those of you sitting in this room who are Christians. Probability is that that will keep happening. But let's appeal to the Lord Jesus. He says there will be wastage and waiting and weakness, but there will be miracles and miracles and miracles. People will become Christians. Now, specifically, what does Mark have in his mind in the first parable when he talks about people who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit that is 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold? What I think it means is that uh, if you share the gospel with somebody and they become a Christian, and then they share the gospel with somebody or two people, and so on and so on, you can see how it grows. I was thinking this week of a lady we baptized here a few years ago from China who became a clear and shining Christian. She's back somewhere in China now. I'm not sure many of us quite know where. What has she done with her faith? Who who knows? The exponential growth of the gospel in China is because people told other people the gospel. God accelerated that with a powerful movement of his spirit, but in the end of the day, it's people telling people the gospel. 
Now, much of the fruit, much of the response that is this miracle stuff, we will not see until the new creation and all is revealed. On that day, God will say to you, or Jesus, come across here and let me introduce you to this person. Now, this person is a Christian because you spoke the gospel to that person over there. And that wonderful stuff will be revealed on that day. And God will keep a lot of it from us for our own good. For what happens after significant movements of God in a church or in a university or in a city or in a country, we rejoice for a while and give God all of the glory, but then we think that we're doing evangelism awfully well. Where the truth is, we weren't doing it any differently from how we were before. God has to humble the church again till it realizes that our job is to scatter the seed. But there are times when we have the great privilege of harvesting the grain when it is fully grown. And that's uh, in parable 2, verse 29, when the grain is ripe at once, he, that's the sower, the evangelist, puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. It is a wonderful thing when you get to see the person you have spoken the gospel message to come to faith and you get to welcome them personally into the family of God. So I went to uh, the parent of that uh, youngster this morning and I said, I think your child has been converted. And of course they said to me, "Uh, we think so too, because they see them during the week. And I said, look, it's, it's a wonderful thing for you to see that as a parent. Rejoice in that. And I don't have to tell them that. The best moments of my life as a minister are when you get to welcome people into the family of God. The next best moments is, is it kind of the end of the life when you know that they're going to everlasting life. It's wonderful when you get to lead somebody to faith. As long as you remember that all you did is tell them the gospel. Now that brings us to our concluding point. Uh, The two bits sandwiched in the middle. Verses 10 to 12 and verses 21 to 25. They tell us something really critical. What God does and what we do. So in our day-to-day sharing of the gospel message. However we do that. What is God doing and what are we to do? In your uh, events week coming up in university the undergrads here, what is God doing and what are you doing? In our gospel project stuff, all that stuff, whatever happens in the next five years, what are we doing and what is God doing? And it's great we get this clear. Verses 20 to 12 is what God does. When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables and he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but to those on the outside, everything is in parables. So they may indeed see, but do not perceive, and may indeed hear, but do not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? And uh, Jesus explains here why he used parables. People often talk about parables as simple ways of expressing spiritual truths. They're only simple ways of expressing spiritual truths if you understand them. They're double Dutch to people. Till God turns on the light. 
They see the story, but they do not see. They hear the words, but they do not understand. Unless God opens our minds and eyes with a miracle of revelation. And, and if you doubt that that is true, the most brilliant evangelist and the most brilliant preacher who has ever lived, so good was he that Jesus said, there is no man that has been born in the history of humanity greater than this man, John the Baptist, stood up, stood up on the platform in the big evangelistic event and said, all I can do is get you wet. You need the Holy Spirit, Jesus, to ignite life. I can't do it. What a relief that is. Isn't that a relief? That I cannot convert my three kids. Try as I might. Exasperate them. I can't do it. I can't convert any of my friends. I can't convert any of you on a Sunday. And there are people in churches that sign up to the gospel because of the persuasive rhetoric of a preacher. Moved to tears. But they're not converted unless God does it. We know that. Spurgeon. Great place. This is a great encouragement to those of us who are preachers. Spurgeon said he was converted during a rubbish sermon. He said the only thing that was good about the sermon was that he mentioned the Bible and read the Bible. And that's a good example, isn't it? It doesn't matter. It doesn't, it's not about delivery or technique or oratory. It's about whether God is turning on the light in your heart. But we're not off the hook. The kind of hyper view of this is that we just batten down the hatches and we wait for God to bring them all in. We're not off the hook. And that's in 21 to 25. Jesus said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not in a stand? The answer is no. You don't go to Ikea or wherever it is you buy your lamp and leave it in a box. You put it on because you need it to light up the dark room. For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone is used to hear, let him spear. And what Jesus is saying to the disciples and us is speak the message. Don't hide it away. Or as one of uh, the commentaries puts it so well, Jesus says to us, don't go silent on me. I need you. Do you really? Yes, he says. Faith comes through hearing. How will he hear unless anyone tells them? Verse 24, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be uh, taken uh, away. It's a very striking uh, truth that, I think, in in Scripture. In history, if you read about revival times in a country, uh, you know, if I was to put a straw poll out at the end and and go around churches and say, would you sign here? Would you like revival to return to Scotland and the church really to grow? Take yes or no. I'd be discouraged if there were lots of no's. Of course there won't be no's. But if actually you read back in history, you see uh, uh, the people of God in a country wrought to pray and, and, and all the spiritual stuff and all the, 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 the affection spiritually that go with that. And we've said again and again in the gospel project that what are we learning in a sense? Shouldn't we wait till all the people come in who aren't Christians into our community who are not Christians 
and then look at them and say, well, let's go and learn Mark together and so we can meet the need. It doesn't work that way around. You, you, you prepare for what God may do. He will not entrust these people to us if we cannot meet the hunger in their heart. He'll entrust them somewhere else. And to the one who has, more will be given. To the one who commits to evangelism in different ways, we all have different gifts, more opportunities will be given. It's very striking for me to observe as the minister of the church that as we have committed to the gospel project, the number of opportunities that people have been given to do evangelism has gone proportionately up, just like an equation. It is just like that. Because Jesus said it would be. Now you're going to go home at lunch and you're going to say, whoa, I don't know, another sermon. I believe all that stuff about wastage and waiting and weakness. But that other stuff just won't happen again. It's not going to happen. Well, if, if you and I think that, and we do think it, we want to chuck in the towel, don't we? We haven't understood these parables. People will become Christians. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these great parables. They're so honest, they're so real, and so encouraging. Help us to hear and to listen and to respond. Lord, we might find ourselves here this morning like uh, the first parable, not uh, with the, the bag of grain on our shoulders sowing the seed, but being the ground that the seed falls on. Where, where do we fit in this parable? We pray, Lord, that maybe we've been the, in rocky ground or maybe we've been on hard ground, but maybe now our hearts are softening and the seed wants to embed itself deep in the soil. Lord, if that is true, we pray that you would lead us as we sing to the heart of the gospel message, which is the Lord Jesus, who forgives our sins and gives us life and hope and ultimately the hope of glory. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.